0: And I really feel like, Pastor, that the Lord said and spoke to me and gave me a word for your house. And that is, that is that you have been hidden in plain sight. You've been hidden in plain sight. What does that mean? Because I didn't know what that means. So I got to look. And When you're hidden in plain sight, you're there all along. But until the Lord unveils your presence, nobody knows that you're there. And why does he do that? He does that to build structures and to build organization and to build unity and to build things. So he told me, he said, don't be discouraged about the things that have gone on or that might go on or that do go on. Just keep looking to him because you've been hidden in plain sight for such a time as this. And when he gets ready to unveil you, there will be no stopping the falling of the veil. Acts chapter 2, send with me out of reverence for the reading of God's word. I really only want to preach one verse, but I feel like we need to read it all because we're here. So in verse number 1, reading out of the New Living Translation, the Bible says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. I want to interject this right here. I learned something in studying this week. You can't just read your Bible. You have to read the Bible. There are two different words used in this passage. Glossa is one. Another one is gloshe. The word glossa is a reference to tongues of men. That's important, so keep that in your mind. The word gloshe means The language of the Spirit. So when they began speaking in other languages, they began speaking in tongues of men and the language of the Spirit. The word also means, another transliterated version means a national language. It's the language of the church. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed, how can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages About the wonderful things God has done. They stood amazed and perplexed and said, What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk. That's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the eleven other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see here was prophesied long ago by the prophet Joel. I'm going to pray for y'all. Y'all pray for me. Lord Jesus, I pray that in your mighty name you would have your way in this house, your way in each and every heart and mind that falls under the sound of my voice, that every single person in this room receive a double portion of the anointing of God in this house tonight. I pray that as I speak, I would be given the tongue of the learned so that may I, that I may speak a word in season that is Raymond of the hearts and minds and ears that changes every single aspect of every person that is in this room. I pray that you would allow us to have an anointing that breaks shackles and destroys yokes and sets out liberty the captives. I pray that right now that you would circumcise the hearts and the ears that are under the sound of my voice so they may hear what the Spirit has to say to his church I pray that you would hide me inside the shadow of the cross so no single word that I say or that I speak may be misconstrued but that everything that comes out of my mouth will be as an oracle from heaven in this room to speak the words of almighty God I pray now that you send attending angels and ministering spirits to this region that every single demonic influence in the region must vacate this region now in the name of Jesus, that we will see miracles, we will see signs, we will see wonders, and we bind all this up in the blood of Jesus. Everybody say amen, amen, amen. Help me for just a moment preach the title of my message. I want to preach to you for just a few minutes the traits of an inebriated church. The traits of an inebriated church. Tell that to your neighbor and take a seat. The traits of an inebriated church. Some of y'all may need to tell your neighbor that if that annoys you, you may want to grab your weave and move now because it's about to go nuclear in this house. When I began to write about this subject, I began to quickly learn there are physical, visible, identifying markers of a person who is inebriated. So I brought you my favorite list that I found from the Oregon Department of Health. They have it broken down from appearance and speech and comments and attitude and behavior. These are the things that inebriated people do. They give this to train employees in restaurants so that they can understand when to cut off the alcohol flow to that person. They say that their appearance, they become bloodshot, glassy, and water-eyed. Their faces flush, their droopy eyelids, blank stares and dazed looks, twitching and body tremors, their clothing becomes deshelved. The speech then turns thick and slurred. They become loud and noisy and speaking loudly, then quietly and rambling and unusually fast and then slow talking or slow responses to questions, repetitive statements, bravado, boasting, making irrational statements, and then overly friendly to the guests and employees and boisterous. Then you begin to sway and stagger or stumble and unable to sit up straight. Then you become careless with money and crying or moody or overly animated. You become drowsy and lack of eye focus and contact start up and then you become difficult to stand up and falling down and before long you do not know how that you made it home but i want you to know i found it very interesting what the apostle said in that verse because they were The men of the city, you must understand, brothers and sisters, the men of the city that were exclaiming these things were there for what they call the Feast of Shavuot. It was a one-day feast because the season had already begun where they were taking grain in, so they didn't have the time to have the customary seven-day feast like they would with tabernacles and some of the other feasts. So they took out one day for this feast, and it was called Shavuot, and they would take out that day and they would celebrate. What it was really celebrating is what in the Old Testament, the law of Moses would tell them how to live their lives and gave them the Pentateuch so they would know exactly what to do as they live for the Lord. So it is on this day that I find it interesting that the God of all creation decides to tell his church how to live their lives and what they need to do to be empowered to live for God. And then they changed the name of this and it's now referred to even by the Jews as the day of Pentecost. It even changed, it so shook up the Jewish culture. Listen, they don't rename anything. They've been calling things what they've called them for 3,000 years and they didn't plan on changing it. But this so shook up the Jewish culture that even today Jews call this the day of Pentecost. They changed the name. And I find it interesting what Peter says because what is happening is nobody's working. Everybody's playing. They're having a big party everywhere that they turn. Everybody's home is filled with party on this day because it's a one-day feast. They're feasting. They're drinking. They're having fun. All the family members have come in. That's why so many people are in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost gets poured out and it disrupts the parties in the city of Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I think it must have been pretty loud to disrupt the entire city of Jerusalem. Some of y'all are looking at me disappointed, but I'm setting you up right now to turn you over on your ears in just a minute. I feel, I'm going to preach. You just hold on for one, one moment. So they begin to draw a crowd, and these men say, these people are just drunk. But then Peter stands up, and he says, they are not drunk as you suppose. Which means they were indeed drunk. But they were drunk, brothers and sisters, on what we now call the new wine. The wine that Jesus told the woman at the well, if you take a drink from me, you will never thirst again. They were drunk on new wine, which lets me know that our church was born in a time of celebration. But it also had some traits that go to inebriated people. And the first thing that I notice in this Bible is in Acts 2.25, inebriated people are loud on the day of Pentecost all the believers were meeting together in one place suddenly there was a sound from heaven in other words the heavens opened up and made a sound that was the first thing that disturbed the party and then a roaring windstorm began to rush through the city that was the second thing that disturbed the party then Flaming tongues came and set upon each of the believers and they began to speak in new languages that they previously never learned. And it was so loud that it began to disrupt the flow and congruency of the day of the Feast of Shavuot. But I want you to know that inebriated people are loud and for far too long we have been told to shh don't get too loud you'll offend somebody i want you to know something this church is not for sinners this church is for saints the gospel is for the sinner we have a problem if you call yourself saint and still need the milk of the gospel we need people who understand it is time to regain our voice as the church of Jesus Christ. Baby, let me tell you, Pentecost came in loud, and it's going to end loud. I read in my Bible where with the with the descending of a shout of the trumpet, Jesus comes back and alerts the whole planet that he's arrived. I want you to know, listen, I, I've never been to a baseball game in my whole life where they told a single person that they were too loud, especially if that baseball game is in the end of September or sometime in October. No, they're loud before the game, they're loud during the game, and they're loud after the game, and when they get to their car, they start blowing their horns, they roll their windows down, and they're still going crazy. Why? It's because they've learned that their voice has the power to sell that which they're excited about. I would to God that somebody would get excited about Jesus and raise their voice once again and claim the wonderful name. Oh, I got some things to say, so you better hold on tight. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 says, For you have said in your heart, talking about the devil, I will ascend into heaven. I will assault my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. According to Revelation 1, 120 The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on the right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The stars of God are God's pastors. Why does that have to do with being loud? I'm going to tell you right here. The devil said, I'm going to go up and I'm going to exalt myself above God's pasture. And what I say is going to be louder than God's words. And what I do is going to be more important than what God does. And what I say is going to be more important than what God says. And so he is after the words of your pastor. He wants to abort the word. Ask Mary and ask Joseph why that at nine months of pregnancy, he told somebody that he needed to take tax returns. And so he sent him on a bumpy ride. on a donkey with the word of God shut up tightly in Mary's womb. He was trying to abort the word of God and shake loose the word of God before that it was time. He wants to abort the word of God that is in your life. He wants to abort the word of God that is over your life so you ought not ever sit in a church service and let any light get between you and what the preacher has to say. Uh, You better stand and you you better clap and you better say amen and you better say us good preacher and preacher you better say something because he's after God's word but then he says if I can't have the pastor if I can't have the pulpit I'll have the people he said I will sit among the congregation oh I will sit among the congregation, the devil wants to sit beside you. The devil said to himself, I will sit on the mountain of the congregation. So if he cannot have the pulpit, I'll take the pew. Nothing good comes from sitting in church. Oh, ask Eli. Eli, what was he doing when he fell over and broke his neck? He was sitting in the church. Ask Lot, Lot, what were you doing when Sodom and Gomorrah still had a chance to repent? He was sitting. Where were you sitting, Lot? At the gate. Why is it at the gate that it's important? Because the gate is where they would come to hear the king's herald and hear what the king had to say. So you had the man with the message, the man that got visited from angels, the man that heard the voice of God sitting at the gate, not standing at the gate oh ask asked the Pharisees and the Sadducees what were they doing when the Holy Ghost pricked their hearts and convicted them of their sin they were sitting in the church house in judgment over a man who was trying to save their soul and they said finally when he said you're stiff necked and hard hearts just like all your ancestors in the grave they stood up and they said let's kill him No good comes from sitting in the house of God. Oh, I got some things to say. So don't sit. Stand. Stand. Oh, the first thing that I noticed that after the coward of Calvary got his back aligned by the chiropractor called the Holy Ghost. He got his back aligned and his spine straightened out. The first thing that coward of Calvary did He stood. He stood and then the Bible says he shouted to the people and guess what happened? After you take a stand and after you begin to shout there's something that transpires souls will be saved when you stand, when you have a message, when you have something to say, people will listen but when you stand up here and you want to pontificate and prolificate everything under the sun except for the word of God. Nobody wants to hear it. I can Google that. Oh, I want you to know the former coward of Calvary really made a stand when he started preaching. And he stood there not with one or two or five. The Bible says when that coward stood up eleven stood with him. Now, ain't it interesting that 12 stood at the start of the church? Why is that important? Well, 12 is the number that represents the 12 tribes of Judah. What does that mean? That means that every tribe and every tongue Y'all need to learn your Bible. Every tribe and every tongue was represented by the 12 that was standing and preaching the Word of God. (laughs) And they proclaim the word in loud voices. And the Bible says that after that day, 3,000 was saved that day. But after that day, every single day of the week, people were added into the church. And that is God's plan. That is God's plan. So what do we need to do? We need to stop sitting in the church house and we need to get our Holy Ghost back. We need to get our dance back. We need to get our shout back. We need to get our love back. We need to get our Holy Ghost back and don't you ever forget that he is a Holy Ghost that will never fill unholy people. The next thing that I learned about inebriated people is that inebriated people are extravagant praisers. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and the Bible says in Acts 2.11 that they all heard them in their own languages speaking the wonderful things of God. Inebriated people are extravagant praisers. Oh, I got some things to say. Oh, they were filled up to the brim in the room. As all drunk people do, they started stumbling out left and right and started making their way into the streets. and I imagine they were saying things the 120 were saying things as they filled the streets saying that he's a healer and a redeemer and a provider and a baptizer. He's the captain of the host and he's the lily of the valley. He's Isaac's ram, Joseph's redeemer, Abraham's seed, the seed of the woman. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the bright and morning star, the soon-and-coming king, the fairest of 10,000. Ain't nobody like him. And they just praising the Lord with their newfound empowered tongue. I want you to notice the first thing that God empowered was not the hand, it was the tongue. The first thing that God empowered on Peter was his tongue. The first thing that got empowered on the eleven was their tongue. We need some people who will get their tongue under the oil and tame that wretched mess. Oh, we need some people who would allow their tongue to get tamed by the Holy Ghost and allow us to live a life and not just word and deed, but also and generationally a people who would actually love Jesus to the point that they know what it means when we give a praise y'all missed that one but there's so many people out there that go out asking I watch these stupid videos y'all pray for me because I watch stupid videos but I know y'all don't have that problem but I do and i be scrolling and they ask stupid questions but the answers are dumber than the question that was asked I asked somebody I've seen I said, can you tell me for $100 one of the books of the Bible? And they say something stupid like God. How stupid? I'd at least take a Catholic Bible book if I was going to give one. I'm in good grief. But we have a bunch of people who, because our tongues have not been changed and transformed... They ain't got no kind of idea about the word of God or who God is. And we need to allow our tongue to learn who God is and to speak who God is. Oh, listen, I know some of y'all got some things to say up in here too that's just like the people on the day of Pentecost because I know for a fact that he's a cancer healer and he's a deliverer and he's a way maker. He's a provider. And I—I I, I look here, I know what it's like to be laid up in a hospital bed. I know what it's like to be examined by every single professional in the state of Arkansas and every single head of each department visiting my room to see something they had never seen and something that they could not explain. But whenever that I began to feel overwhelmed, I had to go back to my roots. When I began to feel overwhelmed in that moment, not knowing whether I was going to walk out of the hospital or not, I didn't know if I was going to live the rest of my life in a wheelchair. I didn't know what was going to happen from all the nerve damage that was going on. But I had no idea in that moment. All I knew to do was to start getting my praise on. The Bible says that praise looks good on you. It's like a tailored suit. Uh, oh, uh, and I began to the, the, my favorite service that I had been listening to was this. Peyton, can you play that real quick and let them hear what I started to do? I couldn't hardly move. Uh, I was in a lot of pain. But I'd been listening to this service, and this is what I heard. this is what I filled my spirit with. They'd walk into the room, and I'd be playing this, and I'd have to turn it down so I could talk to them. And then when they'd get done doing whatever they was doing, I'd turn it back up, and I'd let my spirit hear this. I couldn't hardly move my body. I couldn't hardly walk around. But I knew that the sound of the praise, even if it wasn't my own praise, I knew that the sound of praise That's good, Peyton, you can turn it off. But that's what I began to listen to, and I listened to that for two weeks I kept going back I downloaded it I started listening to it so much I downloaded it and I would play it I played it the whole way that I went to UAMS I played it all through UAMS and I played it until the day that I got in the car to come home and then when I got in the car to come home I put it on the radio and I played it the whole way home because I knew that if one thing was going to get me through it was going to be my praise oh my prayer and my my praise will take me through anything. It'll take me through every problem and every situation that has thrown my way. In fact, it wasn't going to be, I didn't know it, but it wasn't going to be about a full year later that I was going to get prophesied to in front of my wife. And the prophet was going to tell us that she was going to have a perfect pregnancy and that we were going to have a baby that was perfectly healthy. And then a know-nothing doctor that ain't never read the Bible in their entire life decided that they were going to start lying to us and tell us that our baby was having developmental problems and that our baby was having was having stomach problems It wasn't full developed and had a hole in it and they was trying to tell us that our baby was going to have this problem and that problem and from appointment to appointment they was changing problems adding problems, taking problems away and guess what the 36 and a half weeks came in and they said guess what you're having so many problems we're going to take that baby tomorrow so go home and get some rest because in the morning you're going to be here to have a baby and then he's probably going to go to the ICU for an unknown number of days until his lungs are developed and until his stomach is healed up and so we went home and in my 40 minute drive on the way home I started calling people and telling them this is what man says but I know what the prophetic promise of God was and I turned on some praise music after about 40 hours of labor, we got in there and we had a baby in an emergency C-section. And when that baby came out, the doctor looked at that baby and said, Well, there ain't nothing wrong with this one. While the while the incubator sat in the corner ready for Titus, they gave him to Daddy. <laughs> they didn't put him in no incubator. They laid him in my arms between Mama and between Daddy. Because the word of Almighty God is true. So it's yours. Your praise—that is your weapon. It's your praise that changes the atmosphere. That's why you gotta have a shout, because shouting is the language of victory. Ask the people of Israel: What took down the walls? It was theirs. Help me, Holy Ghost. Inebriated people. Then I learned are radical to their cause. Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully. All you fellow Jews and you residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. That's pretty, that's pretty bold. He said, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as you suppose as some of you were assuming Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you're seeing was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He knew if they didn't believe him who was radical to his cause, they believed Joel. And so he told them with his prophetic insight and knowledge of the Bible, he said this right here. Was promised long, many moons ago before either of us were born. And I love that Peter stands up after he'd been cussing 60 days before about how he never met Jesus. He stands up out of the 12. And Peter had a long line of saying things when he shouldn't have said them. And interrupting situations that he shouldn't have said nothing at all. He finally gets it right. And he stands up. And the first words out of his mouth were not his own words. But like any good preacher that's worth his salt, he took a text. And he started preaching the words of Joel. And by the time he got to his opinion, people were kneeling down and they were starting to get saved. And 3,000 people got saved because he was radical to the cause. I want you to know, if you get radical to this cause, you're going to endure some hardships and you're going to endure some trials. But I know that there are rewards to this cause. Oh, I'm telling you, there's rewards that you don't even understand. I want you to understand this clearly. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says these words in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. No wonder then that the old-time saints called him the all-in-all. It was because we were to open our lives to those people around us, and show them that there is a God who will totally blow their mind, who loves them and cares for them and doesn't matter to him what you've done, how many times you've done it, nor who you did it with. All that he cares about is that you see his grace and mercy on display at the gift of his one and only beloved son and accept him as the Lord and Savior. Now I'm going to tell you, this right here is slaughterhouse preaching but it's the way it's got to be and there ain't no room for air here there ain't no margin for air because you be adding to or taking away this is the way that it is we can't back down on how gory that the cross was oh and some of you may not be used to having preaching like this but the fact is This is a slaughterhouse part of the sermon. There's blood everywhere. But let me tell you that you've got to learn how to celebrate in the sacrifice of the cross. (laughs) because if it wasn't for the cross, every man, woman, boy, and girl would be in the devil's hands. But thank God he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by every one of his stripes I am made whole. I want you to know, if you don't remember anything else, I want you to hear this. It is the cross of Calvary that gives us access to eternal life. It was a bloody cross. It was a gory cross. It was a weeping cross. It was a cross of suffering. Oh, you don't understand what happened. Well, let me tell you, they beat him all night long. Even if he wasn't at the post, they beat him with their fists on the way to and from the whipping post. They beat him all night long. And then when morning came, they ripped his beard out of his face and they ripped his body to shreds with the cat of nine tails but he never said a word so he could purchase our salvation I want you to understand that it is by his sacrifice that salvation has been extended unto man, don't you take it lightly, he laid there with the bowels, his intestines laying out of his belly when he was on that cross Uh, and he wasn't wearing no loincloth like in the Passion of the Christ he was naked on the cross Uh, he was despised, rejected and humiliated Uh, and so now you need to understand that I'm not talking about being inebriated as a bunch of fanatical people that's jumping around and mumbling in an own tongue no what we are now is some blood washed Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized, saints of the Most High God And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he has also glorified. I've always wondered. You know, the Bible talks about all the protection that you have in Christ. But in the New Testament, it don't tell you the protection that you have from behind. One day I was reading and I, in the Psalms in the Old Testament, and the Bible says, and this is an echo, you protect it on every side. He talks about what goes before, what protects you on the left side, what's on the right side. But I'm going to tell you what protects you from behind. It's his glory. His glory protects you from behind. As Moses, what protected him when he was hidden? He was in a good place, but he was still hidden. What was he hidden by? He was hidden by the glory. Drunk people have lots of interesting traits. But the last thing that I notice is that drunk people are hard to talk to. And it reminded me of Isaiah's prophecy. Now, they call him the eagle-eye prophet because most of what he said would not come to pass for at least 400 years after he was dead. And they call him the eagle-eye prophet because after it started coming to pass, it was a bullseye prophecy. Everything he said was word for word. It was perfect. And this is what the Lord said to his people who were in captivity about, in Babylon about A time that was way out of the league. And he tells his people, he said, you've gotten so hard-hearted. That when the time comes, I'm not going to fill you with my presence. I'm going to fill other people with my presence. And he says this, Isaiah prophesies. He said, I'm going to fill other people with my presence. He said, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. And I realized in that moment that we got some weirdos up in our midst that they think they tell me, oh, Pastor Taylor, I'm not going to study. I'm going to just sit up after class, put the book over my head, and hey, bye bye. No, you're going to fail. You can speak in more tongues than the United Nations meeting, but if you don't open that book and read, college student, you're going to fail. Yeah. And it's the same kind of stuff that Isaiah was prophesying about. We wouldn't listen to God. And so they failed. And so now we've turned being Pentecostal into popcorn and light shows with 45-minute services that have no power, authority, or anointing. And I, I, this, is, this is always considered arrogant in church circles, but I can't help it's the truth. I had this, I had this college professor. He taught me this. He was between 50 and 200 years old. And he wore hula shirts and a hula hat to class every day. And we was in Texas, so that's okay, even in December. He wore those knee-high socks with the New Balance tennis shoes. It was white. His skin was just about as white as the tennis shoes. And he had been teaching at the school so long that he had retired from the school. And then the dean of students had started giving him, had started fining him because he wasn't wearing the dress code. When the president found out that he owed about $3,000 worth of fines, he took the fines and he said, well, he's not paid them to date anyways, and he's taught at this school for over 50 years, so I think it'll be all right. (laughs) But he used to teach, he used to teach math, college math, and he would show us a way that everybody was doing it. he said, now that's the way they're teaching it now, he said, but... 30 years ago, this is how he did it. And he'd write out something real simple. He said, he said it's not arrogance if it's the truth. <laughs> and so I got to say this. It's not arrogance if it's the truth. Jesus only founded one church. And that was a Pentecostal church. He founded it on the day of Shavuot. They changed the name to Pentecost. He only founded one church. And he said, I want my church to look like my ministry. So he gave us the Holy Ghost so that his church would look like his ministry. What was his ministry full of? Miracles, signs, and wonders. He raised people from the dead. He walked through walls. He walked through human beings. The Bible says they were getting ready to stone him. And him and the 12, 13 people passed through a crowd. So I learned that sometimes inebriated people are hard to talk to because they're hard-headed. But the last thing that I learned is more than anything, inebriated people love to celebrate world champions. Have you ever watched as they get ready For the World Series. And you see in the background thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are partying and going crazy. They're getting ready for the Super Bowl. Tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people in the background. What's the number one thing they all have in common? They're all inebriated. And they're going crazy because they love to celebrate world champions. But then, worship team, you can join me. I realized Jesus said, to be of good cheer, for I have overcome the, and that makes him a world. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my high honor and distinct privilege to introduce to you the one who has never lost a war. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost his mind, his temper, or his cool. Ladies and gentlemen, this man needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He hails out of a manger in Bethlehem in Jerusalem by way of heaven. His mother still headlines in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish and five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine, and no special effects, no camera tricks are needed. He has a head shot on every church van across this country. Jesus, before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of kings, the ruler of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the bright and morning star. Some say he's the rose of Sharon, and some say he's the prince of peace. But I urge you to get up on your feet and put your hands. Together and show your love and affection for the second coming of the one and only Jesus Christ of Nazareth. then I started digging through the word after the Holy Ghost came and I noticed that all the things that I read about inebriated people earlier are characteristics of the church when you get filled with the Holy Ghost sometimes it's hard to stand up and your body twitches and tremors under the power of God Sometimes your clothing gets messed up and so we have to lay a prayer cloth over you to keep you from being naked. Sometimes people start running around and they start jumping up and down and they have lots of very thick emotions. Some people boo-hoo and some people scream and some people can't control how they feel and so they go a little bit crazy. They do a little bit of all of it some people get it so excited over one statement they just keep repeating it and then some people make what some other people would think are irrational statements but it's foolishness the cross is to them that perish but those to leave it is breath and life so then i understood this and the two things that i didn't take time to preach is that inebriated people are overly friendly and they're generous number one thing a drunk likes to do is say round for the house some of y'all stingy people need to get full of the Holy Ghost so that way you'd be happy about giving your money again and then some of y'all stinky people because you stink from that bad attitude need need to get the Holy Ghost so you love some people some more took a group to Fun Arts last week and they all looked like they was mad or had to go to the bathroom when they were practicing and I told them, I said, somebody ought to go to the bathroom and take that look in front of the mirror I said, because I don't know if you need to go to the bathroom right now or if you got something else going on but you need to get that worked out before we get on the stage because them judges ain't going to like that we lost anyways But the traits of an inebriated church are the traits of a church that looks like Jesus and that acts like Jesus. I love it. I love it so much. Jesus couldn't stand the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they hated him. One day it's the Sabbath, nobody's supposed to be moving around. Walking, Jesus and his disciples are out walking through a cornfield, and then like children of the corn, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are there, and the the disciples, broken off heads of corn, started eating them, and Jesus Jesus said, "You're accusing me of breaking the Sabbath. What are you doing out here? You're not supposed to be here either." What they what they represented was what God tried to do and his people would never abide by he tried to put his spirit inside of the law and it worked for a time and while the people of God would serve him God would tabernacle in the wilderness tabernacle he would would perform miracles for them he'd do all kinds of crazy stuff but as soon as they left the law Why do you think then that when the the spirit, when Jesus died and he said it's finished, why do you think then that the veil was split from top to bottom? It's because the spirit made an exit. He had tried to put, he had tried to do this for the Old Testament, but until the lamb was slain, it would never be perfected. So now, after eons, he makes this trip into the heavenly sanctuary, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. He makes this trip as literally, the Bible tells it as a procession. It literally means in the Greek, a parade like this horn-blowing parade. He comes into the heavenly sanctuary that's not been worshipped in since Lucifer desecrated it, and he lays down, the Bible says, one sacrifice. And they have this huge party. And then after that, he goes back to the earth. And the Bible says that the saints of old were witnessed roaming the streets of Jerusalem. And not just the saints of old, but other people that had died that nobody knew were witnessed roaming Jerusalem with Jesus. People already think you're crazy because of what you believe in Jesus. You just some of y'all didn't know what you believed in Jesus. You need to read your Bibles. <laughs> so I, I felt in my spirit. I don't even know how to explain it or describe it, but I just felt in my spirit, that this whole season, leading into Advent and coming for Christmas and everything, I just felt like this whole spirit is to be one big party, and that every time there's a meeting in this house, that it would just be one big party. And that everybody's personal lives and personal worship, personal prayer lives would increase to the point that when you get together, everything goes nuclear. I just, I just kept feeling that in my spirit. And so I, I feel like there's some people that need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost tonight that you may have thought you was baptized in the Holy Ghost. But I got bad news. Unless you've spoken in other tongues, you ain't got the Holy Ghost. You can have all the joy in the whole wide world and not have the Holy Ghost. You gotta. There's a key to this door. It's speaking in tongues. I read it to you earlier. It's the language of the Spirit. It's the language of the Spirit. So some of y'all need to get filled. Some of y'all thought you had the quiet Holy Ghost. and We're going to pray for you to get filled with the loud Holy Ghost tonight. But there's no point, I'll tell you this, and I, I'll urge you to, y'all ain't never heard no preacher like me, because I don't want to waste the anointing on somebody who ain't going to use it. And so, if you ain't going to do nothing with your speaking in tongues, just sit in your seat. We got enough people to do that. We need people are going to lay hands on people. We need people that's going to pray for people and partner in agreement. We got people touching the and they spreading demons rather than spreading the Spirit of God. I know I'm teaching theology class right now. But we, we've got we've to get back to, you know, the old-timers used to say, if it's tight, it's right. That's what, that's what it is. We've got to get back to some tight theology. We've gotten too loose with our theological background and standing. And it doesn't have to be suits and ties. Even though I wore one tonight, it doesn't have to be suits and ties. I could preach the same message in shorts and a t-shirt. And Listen. I'll tell you the truth, it's so much about the position and posture of your heart that you can take communion with a Mountain Dew and a Twinkie. At some point, you got to get your heart right and position and posture your heart to be open to the things of God. I'm not telling you to throw away all the traditions of old because Paul talks about true religion. We got a bunch of goofy people in the church right now trying to do away with religion. And it's in the Bible, and it's something Paul once taught. <laughs> so we can't get rid of religion. We have to have true religion, not the brand of genes. Amen. So I want to pray for some people that need filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. I feel like the baptizer is in the room. But I just feel like the, the spirit of joy is here to come on some people tonight and you take it to your house and I just feel like it's going to abide there I feel like you're just going to take it with you and it's going to abide there people are going to come in and they're going to accidentally without knowing what's happening they're going to take it with them and it's not going to leave your house that's what happens Elijah, you know prophets are honoring Elijah getting ready this woman's getting ready to die she's mentally preparing herself for death and she said, I've only got a little bit of oil, a little bit of meal. I'm gonna make a cake, and we're gonna eat it and die. And Elijah said, Make me something to eat, I'm hungry. And she said, I've only got a little oil, and a little meal, I'm gonna make a cake, and we're gonna die. He said, Make one for me first. Which shows me that God's not interested in what you have or what you don't have or what you've done or haven't done. He's worried about your obedience. I know I've got you standing, but now you're ready to move. So, Get ready to bust and move. I want to pray over you as I pray. If you feel like you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, you feel like you need a refilling, we're going to pray over you. You feel Come up to the front. But if you feel like that's for you, you feel like that's the right word for you, you feel like that you've just been lacking that joy. Because here's the, here's the deal. You're always going to feel weak when you don't have the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, it's it's requirement. So, you feel like, so that's for me. I need that to come just sit on my house. I'm going to pray for that, too. But I really feel like the Lord just wants your obedience. I really feel like he wants you to say, yes, I receive that. Some of you have trouble receiving gifts. You may have not had a good parent relationship, never got a good gift in your life, or you never got a good gift in your adult years you don't know how to receive one the Holy Spirit is saying I want to give you a gift and in that obedience of taking that gift I believe that he's going to bless you so let's pray Father in the name of Jesus I pray that your Holy Spirit come you said it was the best thing in our interest for you to leave the earth because if you didn't leave you couldn't send the comforter you couldn't send the Holy Ghost so I pray that right now you bring fire and oil to this house that the baptizer meet us in these altars I pray for these people that have lost their strength, they've become weary and well-doing, they've lost their strength in battle, I pray that you would renew and rejuvenate and restore them in the name of Jesus. I pray that everything their hand finds to do after this night, it would be to the glory of your name. And as they do these things to the glory of your name, they would spread joy everywhere they go. I thank you for all these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.